I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. <laughs> Welcome, appropriately, I guess, to the sixth. I was going to make some 666 joke, but uh, I shan't. Uh, the plague era crackpot cinema. I swear to God, I almost called this apocalypse culture. Bizarrely. <laughs> that just came out, almost came out of my mouth. A little homage to the, the great Adam Parfrey. Great book. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Really <laughs> fucked up an entire small slice of a generation. <laughs> Permanently. Um, welcome. I am uh, Mike McPadden. I'm the author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. And joining me from Los Angeles is Aaron Lee, uh, writer and producer for TV shows like Family Guy and Superstore and stuff like that. Funny stuff. Yes, very, very much. Um, and some unfunny stuff. <laughs> Are you hot on ABC? <laughs> Which I was for trying years. to think of like, I was trying to think if you if you ever did anything deadly serious. I don't think you have though. But you were on Are oh, You Hot? Uh, yeah, Are You Hot? For years, that was the first um, credit on my IMDb page, and I was like, how do we get that off? Like, <laughs> you have to hire like one of those, like like Ray Donovan, like a totally. fixer. Yeah, totally. going there, like like breaking heads at the uh, IMDb. So you worked with Lorenzo Lamas, right? <laughs> I guess. On Are You Hot? Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't How did this not come up in our tilt discussion? Yeah, good question. I I, I wasn't He thought he thought like twelve year old Brooke Shields was hot in that movie, his character. That's true. I uh I didn't I wasn't there for any of the live uh, uh I, I, no, I did not get to meet Lorenzo Lamas, unfortunately. Damn. Yeah. Well, maybe someday. Someday. Yeah, let's hope. Have you done anything serious? Or a non-comedic, I should say. You know, um, for, for uh, it's interesting. During the writers' strike, the there was a big one about thirteen years ago, thirteen fourteen years ago, um, and uh, because it was like non-guild, I got some work writing for CNN. Believe it or not, and it that, oh, right. that yeah, started yeah. because of a roast of Larry King. And I, I wrote for the roast of Mary King, and then, but then, but then would write for Anderson Cooper on the CNN Heroes show, their like tribute show. So that Heroes, that was, all, right. and yeah. and you know, there's like the occasional telethon and stuff I've, I worked on uh, that was all deadly serious, yeah. But right, all right. But even then, you'd slip in a dick joke here and there just to liven things up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Reference to Joe Dorito. <laughs> sure, or, uh, sure. Some obscure Danny Peary quote. Sure, make him laugh. <laughs> you know, this disease is like having someone's dirtiest finger resting in the back of your throat. Well, that's our all-time favorite Danny Peary quote from yes. his uh, performance review. But uh, you should tell this story. Didn't someone uh, actually say that to you and, well, and, and failed to credit Danny Peary? Yes. Yeah, I so mean, just a moment. Let's re refresh well, for our listeners. Danny Peary is, is sort of like our... Uh, Mo like, I don't know who he, whoever wrote the Bible, because he wrote these cult movies books. Aaron and I were obsessed with them as, as, as adolescents, as young people. 
It was our initial bonding uh, in the 90s, and, and we constantly think about them and quote them to each other. So go ahead. And in his uh, review of the Nicholas Rogue, you know, Mick Jagger starring movie performance, he, he talks about how disgusting the movie is and how bad it makes you feel. And he says it's like having someone's dirtiest finger resting at the back of your throat, which is, which yeah. is so foul a description that, of yeah. course, it would stick with you for life. And uh, I was out here at, in Hollywood when I was like, I don't know, 29 years old or something and was talking to a, a, a comedian at an open mic night. And, I, and the movie performance came up and he said, oh, God, that, that movie, it's so, I mean, it's just so disturbing. It's like having someone's dirtiest finger resting in the back of your throat. <laughs> and I could not bring myself to say to him, like, you stole that line. But I was outraged that he would pass it off as his own observation. Like, uh, ridiculous. I, I'm still outraged. Here we are. This is, you know, 20 years later at least. I was and, shocked know. and outraged. Yeah. But didn't, didn't call him on it. Let it go. Let, just, just let it lay there. You know, uh, hey, so all right, so uh, this week we're doing Lunatic Liz Taylor part one. I think we can get three parts out of this. What do you wow. think? Sure, I, I mean, I enjoyed this because, week, because so. next the next episode, I'm pr- I'm gonna propose we do um, Secret Ceremony, Reflections in a Golden Eye, and uh, Driver's Seat. That sounds great, and there's at least three more after that, but uh. So for this episode, we picked um, Boom, which is uh, from another, which we came to know from another set of biblical, you know, our our, uh, Talmudic uh, library, the uh, Medved Brothers books, the Golden Turkey Awards, the Son of Golden Turkey Awards, the Hollywood Hall of Shame, and the 50, the original, the 50 worst films of all time, which I just discovered, Mr. Lee. I do not have a copy of. My last copy fell apart. Now, that was uh, the, always an issue with that book, was that it would physically fall apart. Sure. Uh, and my my last one just fell apart in so many pieces, I had to get rid of it. So I uh, I just, uh, whatever it cost in this time of uh, destitution, I ordered a fresh copy from uh, Amazon. And, you know, perhaps three years uh after we're all dead, which will be in about two and a half years, it'll show up on my doorstep. And, you so. know, I don't have Son of Golden Turkey Awards at all. And you're making me think... Like, I have two copies. I gotta get it. To me, that's the real sleeper of their uh, their body of work, the Son of Golden Turkey Awards. I, yeah, I got it. Well, to me, the sleeper, the one that never got any attention, and the actual masterpiece is the Hollywood Hall of Shame, which is about the biggest money-losing films ever made. And it's interesting because at the same time, I'm reading a book called Fiasco, and I can't think of the guy's name now. And I'm rather enjoying it um, because the first part has chapters on – this book came out in 2004. And the first – it has chapters on The Wild Party, which is an interesting movie I barely remember um, hearing about even with Raquel Welch set in uh, 1920s Hollywood. And it was uh, AIP was Sam Arkoff's attempt to make something classy like W.C. Fields and Me and Gable and Lombard. <laughs> um, and but then there's other things, you know, I mean, it's the typical I just got through the Showgirls chapter. And, you know, that's a very special film to me. That's a film you and I saw together for the first time. Yeah. Do you remember this in Times Square opening day, like an 11 a.m. show? I do. And I, it, um, it was amazing because I remember uh there was so much hype about that movie before. I don't think that people remember that it was 
touted as a serious like ooh this <laughs> this serious film is coming out that's going to change the NC-17 rating and you know this will be well they hyped that about six months earlier by the time it hit theaters it was this is the worst film ever made well you know it, and it was I do remember it really was one of those where the audience got the laughs and the rowdiness got bigger and bigger and uh, and very in a very genuine way and it was really entertaining yeah. it was a really entertaining movie screen oh it was phenomenal and it was that was an 11 a.m. on a Friday. Yeah, uh, on a, like a shitty rainy day in Times Square. Um, I think we saw that. I believe it was at the Criterion Center. Um, so anyway, see, but then there's stuff like so. You remember, like Peary calls out the Medvids at some point for not seeing some of the movies, uh -huh. like uh, Blood Feast, where they describe the Doctor as youthful. Yeah. So this guy, first off, he's writing with such hatred about showgirls. And, and, you know, I, I mean, I I understand a lot of people aren't going to like it. I think it's, like, one of the great movies. Um, but he keeps talking about all the oversized breasts and that Elizabeth Berkeley had these huge breasts. And it's like, dude, oh, yeah. have you seen breasts? Yeah. That was one of the, like, dis like, distinguishing factors of Showgirls was that it was like a Russ Meyer movie, like... Minus breasts, like where nobody had more than a B cup. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like the Medveds, when Peary, uh, you know, attacked them for that with Blood Feast, I always felt like, well, they it's the pre-VHS era even. Like, right. They, they got yeah. to see this thing one time probably. Like, it's not surprising that they got some details wrong, but that's kind of weird. Yeah, that's kind of strange in, in this era that... Uh, you you would be getting uh, getting that wrong. That's kind of strange. And then, um, you know, and Peary, if you remember, like to see Blood Feast, I believe he traveled to Georgia, like to yeah. some college in Georgia. Like you know, he, he couldn't even get it on on VHS. I, how anybody having written two movie reference books, I don't know how they existed before oh, the know. internet. I know. You, I mean, I know the work that was involved, but I don't know. I should say I don't know how they didn't take twenty-five years a piece to write. Yeah, it really is heroic. Yeah, yeah, and and really does make you forgive them for getting things wrong. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, oh, we, yeah. we've talked yeah, about that before. Yeah. Leonard Malton. How did that guy do it? That's mind blowing. Well, that I mean, that was the super, and he was like a kid. That was the amazing thing. Yeah, you know, with the first with those first TV movie books came out, and um, all right, so. Boom. <laughs> That's what we were getting to uh, from the Golden Turkey. was when we first heard about that, where they're going on about Liz and especially uh, Dick Burton. And, and, and before uh, we jump into Boom, Mike, okay. can I just ask you, I'm, I'm just curious, just to set the table before we get into this, two things. One is... Yeah, yeah, we have a what, little bit of that, yeah. What was your context for Liz Taylor, like, growing up? Because that's what I kept thinking about watching these. I, I kind of only knew Liz Taylor from, first of all, being made fun of in the Golden Turkey Awards. Uh, fa yeah, fa at Fat Jokes. And That's the Joan Rivers, Joan Rivers era. Yeah. Yes, I had yeah. no context for her, and it was very hard for me to understand, like, what was her early film career in that? Was she a sex symbol? Was she a bombshell? Was she kind of a joke then? Was she the serious actress? Like, it was always very hard for me uh, growing up to contextualize her, and that was one of the most fascinating things about watching these movies for me. Well, I, I had a sense of who she was, um... I guess, I, you know, I think my grandmother really loved, like, like National Velvet and um, 
So I, I had a sense that she had been a young actress, incredibly beautiful, and then mostly through old issues of Mad Magazine, I knew about you know Liz and Dick because right. they were always getting uh, sent up in there. And uh, one of their movies was The Sandpiper. This is, remember the, the baffling Mad parodies you'd read, right? What and, is uh, this that movie? was in an issue of Mad as The Sinpiper. <laughs> oh God! And. Um, yeah, you'd read like, what the hell is this? And we've talked about when they would do these the uh, song parodies in Mad, right? And uh, it, like it was like sung to the tune of "It Ain't Necessarily So." You're like, sure, oh, okay, on the street where you live. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah, still worked, still loved it. And and um, and the other and the other important thing I wanted to ask you about is, uh, did you come up with a our good bad? Hopefully with a shit joke okay. uh, rating scale for this. <laughs> okay, I've been thinking about this. I only I had one. Fi- I only had one this week. Okay, I'll, I'll give you mine. Fizz, if it's no good, like it fizzles. Jizz, if it's good, <laughs> it makes you jizz. Okay, that's, that's okay, sure, like that. Liz Fizz. Liz Fizzes, Liz, Liz Jizzes. That's good. Oh, that's even better. Sure. Liz Fizzes, Liz Jizzes. Uh, okay, okay. I, yeah, I only had, since I was sticking to the shit joke genre, the only yeah. one I'd come up with it was Taylor Made is good. This movie is Taylor Made <laughs> or Taylor Mared. <laughs> for the, oh. <laughs> that was I couldn't come up with anything else for shit. So we could do Taylor Hot or Taylor Ham, which is a New Jersey reference. It's, it's a big meat in New Jersey. Taylor Ham. I think. Uh, I, I think Liz should it be Liz Fizzes or Liz Fizzles or Liz Chisels. <laughs> okay liz. no no we've gone off the rails no i think yeah. liz fizz or liz jizz liz fizz is liz jizz yeah there you okay. go okay all right done okay okay great uh the other things i knew about so cleopatra so in new york you remember this the 430 movie yeah on uh channel 7 wabc uh, some days, if a movie was long, it could take up the whole week. And Cleopatra was one of those movies. It took five days for them to show it. Wow. Because they would, they would slice and dice the hell out of those things. And, uh, you know, you try to watch it. It was just so boring. Um, and then, oh, of course, Belushi, John Belushi choking on a chicken bone right. on Weekend Update, as right. Liz Taylor. Which goddamn almost killed me as a kid watching yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, it was in 1979. And... Um, you know, that's it. I mean, I, I, Karina Longworth, I know you listen to this pod, podcast, Karina Longworth. Really? <laughs> Please do a Liz Taylor. No, of course not. Oh, <laughs> God. You got me excited. I thought yeah. you found out from yeah. someone shit. I was going to go, holy shit. Okay. Yeah, we just have to, yeah, we just have to uh, assume. Yeah, it's just. That all the. Uh, yeah, but Power you players in the podcast world are into us. But you had the same experience I did growing up, which is that you experienced her as a joke without yeah. totally knowing the context for the joke. That that's the that's the thing I was trying to get at. Right. Like I only knew her as a joke and and didn't and didn't know what the what had inspired. See, I think I knew a little bit more, but this okay. is I'm 2 years older than you are, so I think okay. you know, I think I understood that she was one of the most beautiful women in the world right. and had then taken this, you know, like, like, uh, kind of like with Liza Minnelli and stuff. Like they were just these like crazy alcoholic pill head, right? Uh, like, like monsters. They were kind of like, you know, like these hilarious monsters, as parodied by Divine, yes. um, as we find, you know, come to know later. But 
that's what they seem like because they were constantly being made fun of. And with Liz Taylor, it was always fat jokes. Yeah, right. And the thing is, like, I've never seen Liz Taylor, like, actually fat as we have come to understand fat. She's always gorgeous. Oh my She's God. always, yeah. like, stunningly beautiful. Yeah, totally. And not even if she was, you know, twice, three. I'm not even saying that, like, you know, I don't want to fat shame anybody or, anyone, or throw that concept around. I'm just saying, you know, she, they use that as a synonym for ugly, and it was ri- just ridiculous. Yes. And, um, you know, even though, you know, Joan Rivers was a great joke writer, it was it was extremely cruel. Um, so, all right, let's get to Boom. Uh, 1968, uh, directed by Joseph Le- Had you ever seen this film before, Aaron? Yes, yes, I had. And, and in fact, I had... Rewatched it recently because I got the Blu-ray oh, cool. release. Um, what, when did it come out? Four months ago? Three or four months ago? Last recently, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I got it when it came out. Great John Waters commentary track. Um, right, and I did that too. But uh, but but rewatched it again for for the podcast. Yeah, and, and had seen it yeah, and had seen it here. years ago because you know you and I had this mission to see everything the Medvets ever wrote about if you ever saw you know right. so yeah I watched it on VHS many years ago oh that's right yeah no I never found it on VHS and uh, I saw that it was like it was a pan and scan VHS which yeah. must have been a really weird experience yeah no kidding and uh, I finally saw it I don't know five sometime within the past ten years at the music box they screened it and I was Stupefied. I mean, to me, this is a top twenty film of all time for me. This is this is a perfect film. Uh, in my world, this would be one of the great midnight movies. It creates a, an, a whole universe that uh, you can recreate uh, with costumes and just in your brain. Uh, I find it endlessly rewatchable each time. It hits me the same way it hit me the first time I saw it. It's amazing. I mean, and especially watching it last night, I was. Uh, completely blown away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, talk about yeah. this is a, some major uh, Liz jizzes here, I gotta say. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, no, this is like, this is just a jizz found. This is, Liz jizz is like the, like the waves crashing against the rocks on her Sardinian island. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's With really uh, Richard Burton saying, boom, boom. Yeah, and, boom. and I, and I understand why, I understand the, it's campy, the, the, the bad reviews at the time, I, totally get it i totally understand the context but it is a weird movie to watch for me today and go like this like you're saying this is a fucking masterpiece this is an amazing yeah really an amazing movie and amazing that people have only uh, 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 for the most part taken it as a big campy joke when it really yeah. is a pretty incredible accomplishment at the same time um getting you know getting past all the details i did wonder like does it mean anything? Does it add up to anything? I, Not that it has to. It bl- well, I'll tell you. Well, well, if you well, d- maybe we should talk a little bit about the uh, just just the. I don't know. I don't even know if we need to rehash the plot or what it is because a lot. Well, of let's get through it. Yeah, let's go through the details. I got a lot but of I'll, notes. Yeah, no, I don't think people know this so much. Maybe not. But then I'll, I'll tell you my take of what it means because it did hit me pretty hard last night. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so this is a Tennessee Williams uh, script based on his play, The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore, which was in turn based on his story, Man, Bring This Up Mountain, both lines of which are spoken by Liz in the movie. And, you know, and, and um, John Waters, who's obsessed with this movie and wrote about it for yeah. years, and I think he wrote about it in his book, Crackpot, 
Um, yes. Y- you know, he was the first person I... I always feel like he's responsible for the bit about, oh, you know how kind of pretentious and hilarious it is when they say the title of the movie in the movie. Like, I feel like he was the first person who ever called that to my attention by writing about how hilarious that is in Boom. And now that's become kind of a a joke. And it's like there was a family guy cutaway about it. And, you know. Yeah. And uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. We got to give credit to John Waters for that. Um. And so, yeah, budgeted at $3.9 million, eventually cost $10 million. One of 11 films that Liz and Dick made together. Uh, so, yeah, Joseph Losey, the same year as Boom, he also directed Liz in The Secret Ceremony, which we're going to talk about uh, in a future episode. He also directed, this is a movie I love, The Boy with Green Hair. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, Dean Stockwell, right? Dean Stockwell, yeah, yeah. yeah. They used to show it on Christmas uh, in New York sometimes, but only like really like crate like four in the morning, oh, like fun. crazy early in the morning. And my sister and I would stay up and watch it, or get up and watch it. Um, and then he went on to direct the assassination of Trotsky with Richard Burton, which is a classic Medved movie. That great photo that we, in the Golden Turkey Awards of oh, Burton screaming best. up to the camera, yeah, <laughs> in a bad Trotsky goatee. Great. And then the assassin, like, with the ice pick over his shoulder. And I love that they said, you know, he looks like he stepped straight out of a spy versus spy comic. It's great. And uh, we have to do batshit Dick Burton. That's got to come. That's got to come soon. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I recently I read a book called Hellraisers by Robert Sellers that I would recommend to anybody. And it's uh, it's about uh, Dick Burton, um, Richard Harris. Oliver Reed and Peter O'Toole. And what's interesting is that Burton comes off as the toughest, strongest, and craziest constantly, and, and most destructive of the of all four of them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's from absolute, like, horrible poverty, a Welsh mining town, and just, like, punched his way to uh, being Richard Burton. Yeah, those guys were scary as hell, man. Richard Burton, Oliver Reed, like... Anytime yeah. I saw a movie with them as a kid or sometimes you're like, <laughs> you could clearly see this is a disturbed human being that should not be on a movie set. And then Oliver Reed came from money. I mean, he was still insane. And, but, right. and then he was built like a like a, you know, friggin ox. So um, during filming, as happened frequently, Liz almost died. She had bronchitis. Oh, wow. Apparently, her trailer fell off the island, like, right as she stepped out of it, for, you know, crashing 150 feet in the water. But that, that sort of seemed like a publicity story to me. Uh-huh. Um, and the sets and the costumes are really unlike anything in any other movie. The only thing they bring to mind in my head is uh, Nicholas Rogue's The Devils. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, his his sets. I mean, it's a Ken Russell film, but he did the sets for that movie. Yeah, you know, I was revisiting uh, the the Medved books because of us watching this, and yeah, it is it is a funny thing. Like I, it's funny to look back on them now, and and the 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 palpable resentment and jealousy of the Medveds, like the the rage at not being involved in Hollywood. And and it's it's a funny thing to contrast like their reaction to these movies to like a John Waters, who right, who was right, a movie yeah. guy who did get into Hollywood and could look at it with total like 
like, oh, these crazy costumes, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Where, whereas the yeah, like right, the Medvids, right. it is a funny thing to look back on the Medvids' constant kind of bad faith, like. Like, a, like, for instance, Liz Taylor wears these amazing, ridiculous headdresses that are... Just jaw-dropping, like nothing you've ever seen. She's got a gigantic chandelier in her head, and it's clearly satirical. Like, like the point of it is yes. she's wearing something crazy as a satire of the wealthy woman who would wear this. But the Medvids will write about it and go like... Oh God! And someone thought it was a good idea to put a chandelier in it. Real attractive, you know. It is. A, it is a funny thing yeah. that they they constantly um, angrily can't see past. Like th- this might have been. It's interesting that you say that because I still feel like the Medvids enjoy these movies. Whereas you get to later stuff, uh, you know, like beginning with you know Mystery Science Theater, and then well on the internet. Where people are just losing their shit, like you know, why does this exist? Why did they let this out? Why did they put this in front of people's eyes? And uh, the Medvids, I still, I think I, it's interesting. I've, I've, there's a touch of that, but I, they did so much research that I also pick up on affection. It's- Whereas, and certainly in in this um, fiasco book I'm reading, like his hatred of Ishtar goes way beyond what the movie would actually elicit from a normal person. Right. Yeah. No, no, I think, I think the med, the injury here's to me, the difference with the medvets with the medvets, it really is like a morality thing. Like, and that's why, that's that's why the Hollywood hall of shame is so brilliant. They really are trying to hammer home this message of this is indulgent and a waste of money. And that's essentially immoral. Like, like, and, and I do think, I don't even know if the word is affection as much as obsession. I, I think they have an obsession, and I think that's what made it so fascinating. And I think that's why Michael Medved did eventually become the conservative uh, commentator, you know, rather right. than this kind of writer. I really think it was from a place of absolute obsession with the morality of it. And 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 they were driven that way, and I think that's what makes the book yeah. so great. But, but I... Like yeah, I think the affection is there for Robot Monster because that right, that's right, kind of yeah. funny and it's not really hurting anyone that a guy put on a gorilla suit and ran around. But when it comes to movies like Boom, I think you do see like that's where they really dig in. They get really intense that way. And and, and yeah, and like I said, Hall of Shame, you see it the most. Like every film, they just they've researched it to such a level that they're just they're tearing it apart on a microscopic level, you know? So I, yeah, I would, it's an interesting take. I think perhaps I've read more, uh, like post, uh, internet, uh, write-ups of these things, but it's just the, the level of anger and it's like, you know, and then you wonder like, well, well what do you like when you read people take these, they're like, what's a good movie to you? Yeah. But that's, uh, that's a different, uh, and then, like, like, what are they going to say? You know, yeah, fucking Indiana Jones or some shit. And, but, uh, but Boom embodies to me like Boom is this movie that is. I, I kind of watching it. I was kind of thinking about our our toxic masculinity podcast. Like last week, yeah, we were talking about movies that are critiquing something, but also embodying it. You, you know, and Boom is this amazing example to me of like it is a critique while completely being what it critiques. And and right, and right. that's that's the thing that um, 
I feel like the the Medveds and a lot of criticism of this movie I, I think miss. Yeah, I would I would definitely go with you on that. Um so okay, so Liz is on this island. Uh there's nothing you've never seen anything like it. She's got a staff. Uh Joanna Schickmas is Blackie, who's taking dictation for Liz's autobiography, and as John Waters points out at the beginning of Pink Flamingo's Divine is working on her bio- autobiography yeah, in the trailer, which he took from this. Yeah. So clearly, I mean, it really, you, I, you see how Divine was so brilliant at parodying Liz Taylor yeah. and even the vocal mannerisms. I, I never noticed yes. so much how Divine's vocal mannerisms were a, a Liz Taylor imitation. And, you know, John Waters always says, you know, Divine didn't want to be female. She wanted to, he wanted to be a monster. Right. He wanted to be Godzilla. And when we talk about who Liz Taylor was in the culture, that's kind of what she was. She was this Godzilla character. And it seems like it must have, in a big self-conscious way, start... Well, I don't know enough about the entire trajectory of her career, but it really... What I consider what I thought of Liz Taylor as a kid is the boom Liz Taylor, right? Like the hair yeah, kind of oh, piled yeah. on yes. top of her head. Yeah. She's a little heavier than yeah. she was in the classic films. And and that, yes, that is the Liz Taylor monster, right? Yeah. And then she's got Eddie, who is this uh, ETTI, by the way, who is a butler that's kind of wrapped in uh, Indian robes and uh, a doctor who looks exactly like Matt Drudge, which cracked mm-hmm. me up. And then... Uh, so most spectacularly, of course, is uh, Michael Dunn as Rudy, the major domo. I'm so happy I got to use the term major domo in describing <laughs> something. Uh, Michael Dunn is the little person actor who is best known as uh, Dr. Miguelito Loveless from uh, Wild Wild West on TV. He's the mad scientist who uh, fought James West. And, you know, and again, a monster. She is just a complete tyrant running roughshod and as we're watching this my wife rachel said can you imagine spending five minutes near this person she's <laughs> which was hilarious and and you know she is so um she's so over the top as you always hear about this movie but yeah. also has a mate every actor in this movie i think because Losey's just a great director every actor in this movie is completely over the top and yet also has amazing subtle moments and and I read a, a quote that Losey kept trying to kept trying to say to Liz Taylor in directing her, it's supposed to be funny, be more humorous. And then she kept just essentially losing it during scenes. Like he could not get right. her to be humorous. <laughs> she would just lose her shit. And and that's what makes right. the, her performance so amazing in this. She means right. it. You, you know, she right. really means it. Well, the whole movie as an experience, you walk away, you're like, that was chaotic, that was like volcanic, that was insane, and yet it's so masterfully, to every inch of the screen, controlled yes. the entire time by Losey. So it's a crazy paradox that really works like nothing else. There's a scene that made uh, me laugh out loud with uh, Shimkus, Joanna Shimkus, her 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 you know long suffering yeah. assistant, her her Smith, her Blackie. Uh, yeah, her Smithers. Smithers, Mr. yeah. Burns. Good, good, yeah. And uh, yeah. Liz Taylor's standing at a balcony, on a balcony. She's pontificating, like, what is the meaning of life? And Shimkus comes running up and says, dictation? 
And and Elizabeth Taylor angrily <laughs> says, no, reflection. I'll raise my hand that like is... this when it's dictation. And it was this total Danny McBride, you know, self-consciously hilarious <laughs> yeah. moment of yeah. shitting on your assistant that just killed me. It's so funny. <laughs> reflection. And of course, you know, her most famous line in the movie is she demands all these things to be put next to her on this table. She's like, I want, you know, these 10 newspapers all around the world. I want a bottle of uh, brandy. I want ice. I want uh, my cigarettes. I want. All and then when the butler's bringing it, she bumps into him, knocks it down, and she goes, shit on your mother. Hilarious. I mean, and the opening yeah. shot of her, one of the greatest introductions of a character in history, oh. her lying topless uh, face down being massaged with her tiny little white dog next to her they're yeah. presenting her with a cocktail that she smashes like yeah she's yeah. i mean it's a it's a pretty uh pretty amazing and character. then she goes into pain and again to invoke showgirls she has like a spasm while her entire staff it appears is massaging her yep uh, but much like, you know, Nomi Malone in the pool in Showgirls, except clearly she's communicating pain. <laughs> it's, you know, it is one of the great introductions. Yeah. Um, then so then Burton enters the scene uh, and, and just the incredible, the beautiful photography and scenery, just that bar God. where Burton is at the beginning. And he hops a boat, and then he climbs the mountain. And he jumps off. He jumps off the boat in yeah. motion in a great shot yeah. that Burton did. <laughs> like dives yeah. off the boat into the ocean, clearly drunk. Like amazing yeah. that he lived through that and swims up to the island. Yeah, another great, yeah. Uh, another great introduction. And he's uh, Christopher Flanders. He's a poet and a uh, metal sculptor, and uh, he creates these weird mobiles. And um, oh, we should talk about the the music by John Barry is is just right on par with everything else. It sounds like an evil carnival. Which which I guess I mean it's a great score and and I suppose and I was thinking I was like right when you say evil carnival like oh, okay this is Nina Rota stuff because because this whole thing is supposed to be here's our Fellini movie I, you know I just assumed it's yeah. all Fellini yes. knockoff stuff yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, what a great score. But it sounds crazy. Like it's the you, I couldn't quite place the instruments in a lot yeah. of it. I was like, this sounds like something you could you could play on uh, one of those Richard Burton sculptures in the movie. Yeah, it's great. Especially the one that was I wrote down the name. What was one of them? Oh, Earth is the gaming cuz Earth is a gaming cuz What was it? Earth is a wheel in the great big gaming casino. <laughs> oh god, so great. So he's there, and he's there for a while before he actually uh, meets Liz, and then she uh, confabs with her friend, the Witch of Capri, played by Noel Coward, the great uh, uh, playwright and uh, iconic figure in gay history. And uh, I, this role was offered to Catherine Hepburn, who was completely offended by it, even being offered it and turned it down. That's interesting, so, and and uh, thank yeah. God she did because. He oh, please, yeah. he is this embodiment. It's just amazing to have him in the movie as this embodiment yeah. of gay irony, like this yes. distanced, sarcastic view, <laughs> this ironic view of the movie within the movie. You know, yes, it's, it like very much. Yeah, it's it's just so great, so great. And uh, he has one of my favorite uh, bits of dialogue in the movie where he's talking. He's sniffing his ammonia out of the little bottles. Like, I mean, you know, initially you would think it was amyl nitrate or something, but he, he says it's ammonia because he used to know a gentleman named Cher, who anytime <laughs> a woman passed by, he would yell fish in Italian. 
and then he sniff ammonia. And then his final wrap-up is, I have always found girls fragrant in any phase of the moon. Oh, God. It, that is, and, and it really is, it really is a, it's really interesting, the level of misogyny in the movie and, yes, and Tennessee yeah. Williams' misogyny that Liz Taylor, God damn, I, I really like respect how she, because she just so kicks out the jams, it's like she's in this misogynist movie that she completely dominates and is a total badass and, and just rules, you know? Like, like it's amazing yes. how much she's labeled a bitch and, and a monster. Like, these words are thrown at her the whole movie. And she's so amazing and just dominates every frame, even if she's not in it, and completely conquers it. It's really uh, pretty wild. And then, you know, Liz herself was a mighty gay icon. And, I, and that was also something I picked up on as a kid. You know, I thought of her with Judy Garland and Marilyn Monroe. Like, oh, this is like gay guys worship Liz Taylor. Right. And that's, uh, you know, and the movie really does... I don't know if it so much addresses it as embody that. I don't. I think maybe it does address it. I mean, it's, it does. I hadn't I, really I suppose, thought of that. Yeah. Like Judy yeah. Garland. I don't feel like Judy Garland did get her movie like this, where she did Where a gay, no. where a gay writer, a gay director, pulling right. a gay star to comment at, would would really be doing this commentary on the star, and and that's what this movie right. is. But but yeah, it's funny. None of none of the other names you mentioned got that, but. Liz Taylor got well, it. They didn't live long enough. Had, yeah. they, had they lived into the 1970s, I, so. I believe they certainly would have. I guess yeah. that's it, yeah. So, uh, you know, so Burton and Taylor, the monkey, the, <laughs> the dogs, the bird, um, all on this island. Uh, Liz wears, she does kabuki with that insane headdress, which looks like hundreds of syringes, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's wearing a samurai robe and carrying a sword. And, uh, you know, they just, they go at it. And they go at it like nothing you've ever experienced as having gone at it. Mm-hmm. And, and Burton wears a pink bathrobe and a hot pink That's right. towel. Yeah. <laughs> which, which And he's, it shows his dink yeah. when he's hopping in the cold spring. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and that's another thing. Like Burton, like he's talked about him jumping off the. He's he was insanely athletic. He was a rugby player. Um. So and what's interesting is that you know I think of him as those four guys as the most refined, perhaps. And uh, it turned out no, he was actually like the thug of thugs, while also being you know incredibly refined. And, uh, you know, and he plays. He so it turns out he's the angel of death. That's his nickname, Angelo Del Morte. And uh, he goes around when people are dying and kind of inserts himself into the situation and uh, makes off with their money. And and ultimately, that is what plays out throughout Boom, because Liz is dying. And then they have their final moment together. And uh, he reveals that, you know, he's on this spiritual mission. And, uh, you know, perhaps he is the angel of death. And uh, I don't think he is, though. I think he is literally who he says he is. And uh, his final word of the movie is boom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I'll you know when I said like uh, I'll tell you my take seeing it like Please. part of it I think was influenced by really was by seeing La Grande Bouffe last week, right. which this movie really does have some similarities to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, and <laughs> my my take seeing this movie this week 
and being <laughs> working in Hollywood uh, dur- during a pandemic <laughs> and uh, yes. w- was, you, you know, yeah, whether whether you get into the question of within the logic of the movie, is Burton like a, a supernatural grim reaper or is he just right. this? But w- whether clearly, clearly symbolically in the movie, yeah, he's right. death in a huge way. Right. They go yes. over the top yeah. referring to him as Lamort and he's dressed all in yeah. black all the time. Yeah. And with the sword. Yeah. And to me, this movie was this really amazing, like kind of commentary on, uh, on the very, the denial of death stuff and, and the very sure. idea that making big, expensive, lavish movies is, is pointless and, and is done in the face of death and, and the big, and like I said, it's part of this is like Hollywood stuff this week being here. Like, yeah. like, uh, this movie was made in 1968, this crazy, one of the craziest, darkest, most violent years in American history. And yes. and the whole idea of of Burton repeatedly saying this boom line, he says, you know, boom is the shock of each moment of still being alive. So right. so you're watching the world crumble around you, going, holy shit! I can't believe I can't believe I'm still alive. I, like it's coming. I know it's right around the corner. Uh, so right. what we should be doing is making movies. Shouldn't we be making movies about real people going through the struggle of this? And it's no, we don't want that. We want beautiful people in spectacular surroundings with fancy costumes and we can't help it. We, we know we're supposed to right. want, we know we're supposed to want uh, neo realist films, right? The bicycle thief is a good movie. We're supposed to do that, but we don't want it. We want, this we want right. people in fancy clothes and spare and we're going to and like liz taylor we're going to stay in this gilded fantasy land right up until the end when it finally gets us you know and 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 yeah. you know and that's the thing like and there's something beautiful about that there's something beautiful and hopeful totally. about like no 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 we can yeah. keep wearing nice clothes and we can keep having <laughs> We can keep having our fancy, uh, spectacular beach house, even as even as everything burns down around us. You do see the hopeful side of that, and you also see the disgusting side of that. And to me, that's what this movie is like. Yeah, and we're we're going to be that and embody it while also uh, critiquing it. Really, like I said, really a heavy thing to watch this week. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I I can't imagine that was a conscious anything was consciously thought in that direction on this. It is Tennessee um, Williams. You can't say it's Tennessee you Williams. Can't say it's Tennessee Joseph Williams. Losey. Yeah, I mean those are two of the most. I mean that's a These very cerebral director. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but once again, you know, I think it's a it's an issue of embodying the moment rather than going into the moment to comment on the moment. I, like uh, Liz I agree and with Richard, your take in hindsight, Liz yeah. and Dick. I don't. Liz and Dick are drunk and just fucking. Oh, they're high it. and drunk. They're, out of a- a- AF. I don't. I don't say. think there's any conscious <laughs> thing going on from Liz and no. Dick. But Losey, like you said, so controlled. I think it's very conscious. And, yeah. and Tennessee Williams. Yeah. But no, Liz and Dick are just. That's what. But they're just. Yeah. Doing. I mean, it's interesting that you'd feed it through the the Hollywood context. Um, Losey, you know, a. a, a one of one of several dirty communists we'll talk about this week. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting take. I can't imagine that it was about Hollywood. I would, if anything, would think it was more about uh, society. You know, the, sure. the rich up on the mountain. 
Sure. Um, and that would might be what uh, attracted him to this. Uh, Tennessee Williams, you know, not not in peak fighting form. I, I don't know. Um, but it's a very interesting take. And I kept thinking, you know, do, does it all add up to something? And I, I don't know. And then part of me just said, no, it's uh, you're here. It happens. And boom. To me, it's that, that last sort shot. Of life. It's that last shot of he's got her in his arms you know death has taken yeah. her and he's getting the jewels it's uh, to me it's yeah. all haha you can't you can't beat you can't beat death you, right you, you right. know um and you can't take it with you he puts right. the jewels in a glass of wine and throws it into the ocean yeah. oh it's great oh my god i loved it yeah and it says boom no this yeah. this really was a, a joy to watch this week i gotta say yeah no, so Liz jizzes all over everything. As We're did covered. I. As did I. Yeah, yeah, same here. How much I enjoyed this movie. <laughs> and I want We want to say the uh, Shout Factory Blu-ray is just magnificent. Oh God, it looks great. Like you can't like get it now. I mean, it's going to take six months to get delivered to you. So order it before we finish talking. Yeah. So, and now let's do a uh, a. Leap ahead a few years and do a U-turn in terms of quality. 1976's The Bluebirds. This is uh, Jizz Fizz. I mean, Liz, <laughs> sorry. Liz Fizzing like few other things I've experienced. And, you know, I was really looking forward to seeing this. I'd never seen it. It got a Absolutely. huge yeah. write-up in the Medved's Hollywood Hall of Shame. And, yeah. and, you know, and by the way, like, I think when I was telling a never understanding the Liz Taylor context... You see yeah. in her performances, she she is in on the joke. She a lot like Marilyn Monroe was say, like yes. she is playing. Yeah. Liz I would Taylor agree, and yes. she knows the yes. you're playing. And and I think like that self awareness in some ways, I think probably incensed the Medveds more than anything. Like that, like that. Just I think that was she was a big target for them, and and Bluebird gets a huge write up. So I was so excited to see this, and boy, was it a. Yeah, it was a real chore to get through this. Well, one. she gets her own chapter in the Hollywood Hall of Shame, yeah. and then the Bluebird appears later in a kids' movie chapter. Yep. Uh, the movie this reminded me of was another terrible film, which was A Wrinkle in Time from a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I did you see, see that. that? Yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And I, I just kept thinking Liz is like Oprah in this. Totally. And, and that's, that's sort a of great like comparison. Oprah has that place in our culture. Yep. Yeah, it's a, that's you know, a, you know, and Oprah in that is literally playing God, um, but and that and that was so smug and so of this moment, um, the way the Bluebird kind of isn't good enough to be. No, I know. If only, if only yeah. the Bluebird had been that smug and of its moment, it would yeah, be more yeah, of an interesting yeah. artifact. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, not good. So it's actually the fifth movie adaptation of of the play 1908 play The Bluebird by Belgian writer. Uh, I'll probably say this wrong. Uh, Maurice Maeterlinck, uh, Link Maeterlinck. Oh, that was easy. Yeah. Uh, premiered at the Moscow Art Theater uh, in 1908, and then opened on Broadway in uh, 1910. Uh, the first two there was a two silent versions in 1910 and in 1918. Uh, 1940 Shirley Temple version meant to be the response to uh, the 20th Century Fox's answer to the Wizard of Oz. It bombed. It was the first Shirley Temple bomb, apparently. But you hear that all the time. That's something that always makes me crazy. It's like, this is the only Elvis film to lose money. And I've heard that applied to like 16 different movies. Yeah, right, right. 
And then there's a 1970 animated version from the Soviet Union. Uh, I have no memory whatsoever of this ever playing in a theater. Do you? Oh, God, no. I, no, absolutely not. Apparently it did though. Yeah, I guess so. I can't. I can't find ads for it or anything oh, in New York. But uh, you know what I did want to mention though. You know what? Yeah. You know what? It came out at the same time though in a theater that this movie made me think of. It, like it's amazing yeah. because in the Hall of Shame, it's all about how expensive this movie was and what a flop right. was. And it looks like shit. I mean, it looks like it was made for five the bucks. The worst. Just looks yeah. terrible. And it, what it reminded me of seeing it was uh, like those K. Gordon Murray. Uh, fairy yeah, tale movie. Yes, yeah. He, you know, he's this cheapo producer who would get like Mexican yeah. fairy tale movies, Santa Mon Claus. Yes, uh, it's worse than that. It's like the ones he made in Florida. Yes, and and in like Magic Land of Mother Goose and stuff. And yeah. here's one of my earliest childhood memories: is when I was like four years old. Uh, Paramount did a big reissue of one of his movies of Rumpelstiltskin. That had actually oh, yeah. been made in like. I couldn't wait to see it. I, I my dad took me. We went to a matinee. Oh my god! I saw it in the theater, and and it was so bad. And I'm not. You're gonna think I'm making this up. It's about half an hour into the <laughs> I'll movie. I believe you. Kids started like rioting. <laughs> like there was an actual like kid riot. Kids yelling, throwing shit, like freaking out. My dad carried me out to safety. And like, and he, <laughs> no, I know you're telling the truth. And he got to the box office and he lit into the guy, like screaming, like this piece of shit movie demanding the, our money back and managed to get our money back. And we left and he was enraged the whole ride home. But, but that's what the bluebird reminded me of. And I had yeah. nightmares for years about that, about Rumpelstiltskin himself. Oh, he was a movie. weird looking dude, oh, that little Rumpelstiltskin actor. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what this movie feels like. And I just want to correct myself. Magic Land of Mother Goose is a Herschel Gordon Lewis oh, film. Oh, that's right. Before yeah. I get corrected online. Um, but those other, the original K. Gordon Murray productions, it reminds me of. Yes. Uh, yeah, it just, it, I kept thinking, it, what it reminded me of was, I remember seeing on cable, and this was probably like really early on, so this was probably like a 70s production, some insane Mother Goose uh, like TV series from the South and uh, wow. it was like somebody dressed like Frankenstein, and but shot on film, like 60-millimeter film, and that's what it looked like. Like Ch Frankenstein, Chase, and Hansel and Gretel out of like the witch's cabin. <laughs> like, but even that's more exciting than anything that happened. The sets here like truly amazed me with how shitty they were. It looks like a grade school production. In particular, the, the domain, the realm of night with Jane Fonda, where everything is just wrapped in aluminum foil. Yeah. And they, and and they're not even on like cool sets. They're mostly just wandering That's what I mean. around the, the sets woods are just... in in yeah. shitty costumes. Yeah, boy. Yeah. And but when the when it started up, when I was watching the credits, I was like, uh, I mean, this has to be our gayest episode ever, Mike. Like, because I was Please, looking yeah. at this cast: Liz Taylor, Jane Fonda, Ava Gardner, Cicely Tyson. <laughs> One name after another. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be fun." And uh, James, Co it was too gay for James Coco, who had to bow out. Yeah. He was playing the dog. He was like, "I'm out. Oh, I'm out." God, yeah, it was rough. Too gay for even me. Um, yeah, apparently uh, he ate too much uh, on the set. This was in the Medved book. And he he got uh, the food was so bad he only ate bread and butter in Russia, and uh, he got too fat for his dog costume. But it just sounds like it was too chaotic over there. So uh, the Bluebird was this during the era of detente, 
between the United States and the Soviet Union when we were trying to do things like link up our spaceships together. Uh, there was this idea from Edgar Rosenberg, Joan Rivers' ex, uh, ex, ex-husband, ex-human, uh, Joan Rivers' husband who committed suicide following the 1987 flop of her uh, Fox talk show. Uh, his idea initially to do movies with the Soviet Union. Now, I'm going to ask my friend online, Paul. I, his name is S A U R. I don't know how to, if it's pronounced sore or sour, but Paul is an obsessive TV guide collector. So I need your help, Paul. I remember the Bluebird being listed as a United Nations film. Remember, like in TV Guide, it would say like you know, eight and a half Italy, you know, and the year. Oh or, yeah, you know, like, right. And, and there were two movies I remember playing, and this was one of them. The other was The Poppy is Also a Flower, wow. United Nations, 1967. That's cool. Uh, but I think it's not because The Poppy is Also a Flower was part of a four-picture deal the United Nations made with ABC to do these um, TV movies promoting you know, the United Nations. Uh, that was then the John, the ultra, you know, crazy lunatic fringe far right John Birch Society lost their minds, organized an insane letter writing campaign. So then I'm looking through the movies that actually made it to the air. There was four of them, and, and they because they were just saying this is communist propaganda, the John Birch Society, and it's like, well, they they might have been on it something. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, the first one, 1964, a Carol for Another Christmas, which was a Scrooge, uh, you know, a, a Scrooge update written by Rod Serling. Mm-hmm. Um, except he's a modern uh, industrialist, an American industrialist who uh, the ghosts teach him about the importance of global cooperation. Who has seen the wind? Which is about a displaced refugee family forced to live on years on a boat because no country will take them. Mm-hmm. Costumes designed by Edith Head on that one, and then this is the one that really made me chuckle. And this, I mean, I can't imagine that John Birch Society was able to keep their heads on their their bodies after this. Once upon a tractor. Is the name of it from 1965. Oh, God, that sounds good. Yeah. Starring Alan Bates. Yeah. A farmer who has failed to receive a requested tractor from his local government authority travels halfway around the world to New York City to ask the UN to intervene. That's great. So I don't know that, uh, for whatever reason, I I may have remembered it wrong. This may not be a United Nations production, but it was a U.S. Soviet co production. Uh, The great George Cukor directed. Um, Ugh, barely. You know, I legend. mean, when we talk yeah. about Joseph Losey being so in control of oh, every yeah. frame there, you can just imagine Cukor just, I just kept thinking he must be like falling asleep and then like snapping yeah. through going cut, <laughs> you know, like it's, there's, it's so lazily shot and directed. Well, apparently he had no one, uh, no crew member could speak any oh, English and uh, boy. Jane Fonda was harassing them to talk about like Lenin. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, he which I love, like, like she's the only fun thing in the movie. Barely, she's the only yeah. person who seems to be awake. At least she has a big. Yeah. At least her her lame costume is kind of big and tacky and black and yeah. And yeah, she's the only fun thing in the movie. She does. She does seem alive and plugged in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was probably having a good time talking about Lenin and yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, good for <laughs> Annoy- her. Man. Annoying the crew members. Like, do you see the yeah. shit conditions we live in here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta love her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I won't. But uh, sometime we'll talk about the uh, the Jane Fonda movie I saw when I worked at Hustler. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. 
So far as I know, only four other people have ever seen that movie, I, and, and I, a couple other people. I believe Alan Macdonell describes it in his book *Prisoner of X*, right? He yes, talks about that movie. Yes, he does, and we'll be we'll be mentioning Alan again at the end of this episode. There you go. Uh, so maybe when we have him on, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, it's a good idea. So, uh, Bluebird, yeah, initially played as a light, non-political film. Uh, the, re- the way they convinced the Soviet Union was that they said they were going to get uh, Marlon Brando, but he was not interested, it turned out. Yeah. So they went with Liz Taylor, and they're like, okay, that works. So Liz plays four roles, Mother, the Witch, Light, and Maternal Love, which I don't know how that's different from Mother. But uh, so she, her main character is Light, and this is what reminded me of Oprah in A Wrinkle in Time. And she's just sort of this goddess figure. Uh, and she said going in, in the play, she's a goddamn bore. But the way I'll play her, she won't be a goddamn bore. I think I'll put in a, put in a few swear words. Give him a little cleavage. We can spritz it up. Yeah, I saw she that. She does none of that. She, yeah. And, and yeah. I guess there's a little cleavage, but there's no swear words. And I, yeah, this, no. yeah no. It, was, it, was, it was just bland. And then once again, she almost died in the process of making the movie from a parasitic infection. Wow. <laughs> I don't think Liz was big on the self-care thing. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know who she reminds me of so much when I was watching these movies in a weird way? And I think it is Lindsay Lohan. Like, I was trying to think of act- a lot. actresses. Yeah, who, who then played her in a horrific TV movie appropriately. Right, yeah. who played her in, and, you know, has had a similarly uh, kind of um, yeah. tumultuous uh yeah. Hey, let me tell you, just not to, not God's sake, I don't want to derail from talking about this incredibly boring movie with a with an <laughs> with an entertaining celebrity anecdote. But you know, uh, I was I, when I was watching it, I was remembering. Did did I tell you about Lindsay Lohan following me on Instagram? Have we ever had this talk? Uh, no. Tell so, us all. Please. So when yeah. I was on Instagram, uh, wait, which, let's back up for a second. Yeah. I remember you hanging out with her ex-girlfriend, Samantha Ronson, and saying it was one of the most fun nights of your life. Oh, Samantha Ronson was great. I hung out with Lindsay Lohan, too, and had a great time I, with her. Geez. She was awesome. Wow. But, but she, uh, one day out of the blue, I'm not on any social media anymore, but I used to be on Instagram, and one day out of the blue, I say, Lindsay Lohan is following you. And I'm like, well, that can't be the, the Lindsay Lohan. That's weird. And, I, and I, a friend of mine told me, like, oh, you know, she, there's this, other woman you know who's an influencer woman and she's following you so that's why Lindsay Lawrence started. I said oh okay well that's interesting and and by the way when we talk about people following me on Instagram I had like 20 people follow, you know it's yeah. just I would it would just be me and friends and so right. I'm on there for I don't know three four years she, she keeps following me the whole time never never likes anything or I never have any interaction with her and then one day there's one post she likes and i always found this fascinating it was me doing a post that was a tribute to child actor billy chapin who was in night of the hunter (laughs) and i was like and she liked that and i was like god bless this woman like she sees one thing about a child actor she's like yep like that popping out to say hey i dig that you know so uh, lindsey lowen has my eternal admiration for that but uh, okay, but and yeah. the moral of that story for me is, for the sake of this podcast, would you get the fuck back on Instagram? <laughs> no, no, no social media. <laughs> Hate it. <sighs> Sorry. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so today, let's talk about the two child actors in this movie. See if uh, Lindsay oh. Lohan would like it if we put them up there. You're right, Patsy Kensett. I mean, very much in that mode. 
Um, yeah. I, I really remember her from her 90s phase because that's when I was uh, running a video store. And her movie right. 21 was very popular at the video store. It was a big, big rental. Really? Yeah, wow. because it because uh, it had a sexy photo of her like as an ingenue. I on remember the cover. the cover. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was that was a. I always remember for that year that was a big that was a big big rental. Yeah, which totally unforget, uh, totally forgotten now, and yeah, and I don't think a hit yeah. in any way at the time, but a, a big rental no. movie. But I mean, she's best known for Lethal Weapon two, and then uh, I think she was married to one of the Oasis guys, yeah, Liam uh, Gallagher. Yeah, right, right, okay. And then Todd Lookinland, who's the brother of Mike Lookinland, who was Bobby from the Brady Bunch. He he he, he looks a lot like Bobby from the Brady Bunch. And uh, but Patsy, with her long blonde hair and kind of has like kind of cute buck teeth. Have you seen this viral video? I'm I'm obsessed with this. Apparently, it's old, but I you know I'm old too. Mm-hmm. It's this Irish family band called the Kelly Family performing on a Swedish variety show. I guess they're big in, no. in Sweden. Okay, they all have hair. It's like, I don't know how many. I mean, probably like 14 of them, it looks like. At least 10 siblings with, like, their dad dressed as, like, this big, weird Soviet Father Christmas type. And they all have luminous blonde hair down past their butts, boys and girls. Oh, I got to see And the oldest kid might be 20. But, yeah, no, I will be posting this all over. So, but the, their viral video was the young, like one of the young boys who you would think was a girl just based on his hair. He just looks like an like a this golden blonde girl, uh, singing this like kind of brassy, sassy song. I'm not gonna pee pee the bed tonight. <laughs> That's great. And those are the only words. And he sings it like Janis Joplin. Yes. And he falls down and he's writhing around. It's my favorite song of all time. It might be my favorite motion picture of all time. I will. I will. Not going to pee pee the bed tonight. Sounds and they great. all go, he's not going to pee-pee the bed tonight. So Patsy Kensett made me think of that little guy. You, you know, her and Todd Lookinland in this movie as these two ragamuffins, they reminded me of uh, of a, a good movie for, for me, uh, a Pippi Longstocking movie called Pippi on the Run. One of the original wow, 70s. I don't, I don't know it. It's, you, yeah. you know you had the original 70s Swedish Pippi Longstocking. I saw the first one and then in the South Seas, yeah. The the I got a box set of those to watch with my kids when they were little. And uh, the absolute masterpiece, the total ass kicker is Pippi on the Run, which is about a brother and sister who look like them, it, it, Patsy. And sure, Jack, yeah. Uh, who run away from home and they meet up with Pippi. And it is the, it's one of the most surreal fucked up movies ever made. Like Pippi teaches well, them that. to eat fish bones. Like they, you watch, the, it's a disgusting scene where they sit and eat a, a, a scaled, just the bones of a fish. And I, I mean, it's just one surreal event after another. It's, right. it's one of the best. Uh, it's great. Well, we'll do we'll do a crackpot kitty movie. Uh, we could do hundreds of them, but it was we a gotta it was that. a real yeah. example of how a movie made for five bucks can be really imaginative yeah. and entertaining. Sure. And this movie that's made for a shitload of money can just be dull and bad songs and bad dancing and, and oh. nothing happening. Nothing happens, and it takes so long for it to not happen. Yeah, so yeah, it's rough. So, you know, she starts out as this kind of, you know, classic Grimm's fairy tale matriarch, and then she's a witch inexplicably for a couple of minutes. And then she turns into Light, who is this sort of goddess figure, and she brings to life all these objects and animals around the house, dog, cat, fire, water, milk, bread, and sugar, Um, none of which is interesting. Some of them are played by uh, 
Russian ballerinas. And uh, it's just terrible. Oh, Cicely Tyson is the cat. Yeah. And uh, George Cooker uh, apparently accused Cicely Tyson of trying to curse the movie by placing voodoo spells on the set. Oh, my God. Um, Will Gear as Grandpa. Talking about a communist. He was a bisexual communist botanist. Uh, most famous as Grandpa Walton. Huh. Um, there's one part. They go to the land of memory, and they see their dead grandparents, and they're apparently doing very well. And uh, the kids' names are Tiltil and Mitel. Tiltil's the boy. So Tiltil, he's like eat, he's like grabbing too much soup, and Grandpa slaps him. And uh, Tiltil says it feels good. And then and later on in the movie, Tiltil slaps the dog, uh, who's a guy in a dog costume. And then the dog licks his face, and he goes, "What are you doing?" He goes, "You slapped me, so I have to kiss you." So I was like, "All right, Kiki, very, very, Kiki." At one point, they open these different chambers. The ghosts come out. I thought, as a kid, I would have been terrified by those ghosts. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing charming about them. No. <laughs> it. was like, just put some sheets with people. And, and like I said, the, the parade of celebrities when they come in, you go, oh, Cicely yeah. Tyson, now something entertainment. Nope, nothing. Yeah. Oh, Ava no, no Gardner. Chance. Nope. The only face. No, and it's Ava Gardner. I yeah. know. The only face that popped up that I did go, oh, okay, now I'm in, I enjoy that was seeing Robert Morley. Now, who was well? Yeah, he yeah. he made a huge impression on me as a kid. For I, like, I always enjoyed every one of him. us. Scavenger yeah. Hunt, uh, you know, yes. with, and a movie I saw in the theater, by the way. Oh, Heavenly Dog! Uh, wow, wow, wow! Yeah, wow. like me and like two other people. The Great Muppet Caper. Like he he was always a yeah. delight to see, and uh, I liked seeing him very this. much. Uh, kids loved him. He was everywhere in the seventies. Really was. Uh, he was uh, ubiquitous as the uh, spokesman for British Airways. Okay, yeah. And his, uh, so many commercials and uh, their tagline was, we'll take good care of you. And he's just this kind of classic, rotund, hook-nosed, jowly. He's he's the uh, physical embodiment of the word harumph. He, he, exactly, yeah. yeah. Always like a pompous windbag, but very lovable. Yeah, very lovable. Totally. And uh, one time my brother, when he was three... There was a picture. It was a British Airways ad, and there was a picture of Robert Moore, like a close-up on his face. And my brother pointed at it and laughed and said, "Monster joke." <laughs> he loved. He loved that monster joke. <laughs> so he plays Father Time in you know what's the weirdest segment, but not even that weird. Uh, with the the children of the future, the kids are like hopping into this like floral pod to go get born. And it's like two little kids that sort of have like a little, like, you know, puppy love romance. And they, he breaks them up. He's like, nah, this kid, the boy's got to be born. And the girl's like, uh, will you wait for me? He goes, I'll be the saddest thing on earth. That's how you'll know me. And I was like, oh, happy birthday, Morrissey. Yeah. I wrote that joke for you, Aaron. <laughs> Landed well. Landed like a Morrissey album does No, with me. I took it sincerely. <laughs> I didn't take it as a joke. I was like, fuck yeah. Uh, man, I, 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 you're you're uh, you're hitting me in the context of the new Morrissey album being out this week. So no, I just took it as a, a straight up salute. What's up with his new album? Well, it's it's called "I Am Not a Dog on a Chain," and it's his uh, you know wow. repost to all the accusations of him yeah. being alt right and uh, and uh, right. and in typical modern Morrissey album fashion, it oscillates between some of the worst songs you've ever heard him do and then a song that you go hey this kicks ass this is great and then back yeah. to a terrible song and then back to a good one so yeah. It, it, yeah pretty much the typical review of every morrissey album for the past 10 years right 
So uh, Ava Gardner is in this, and I was thinking, like, so I did a little research on her. We could do a Gonzo Ava Gardner episode just covering the movie she made after The Bluebird, The Cassandra Crossing, which I've never seen, no, always fascinated either. by from the ads. Yeah. Uh, the Sentinel, shot in my hometown oh, yeah. of Brooklyn. And City on Fire from 1979, which is coming out on Blu-ray soon, I think from Kino Lorber. Yeah, never seen that. Never saw that, but in fact, it was rated R, and Henry Fonda is the star of it. So as a kid, wow. I was like, is he saying, like, oh, we got to stop this fucking fire, you assholes? <laughs> right. <laughs> Boy, the Sentinel. Oh, and the kidnapping of the president. You must have seen that. Have you ever seen that? I don't think so. Hal Holbrook, Bill Shatner. I don't think I have ever seen that. Is it a TV movie or it was theatrical? No. Well, this is the thing. It played theaters and then like a month later was on NBC. It was the NBC Sunday Night Movie. Okay. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Which no. was completely awesome because, you know, we in Brooklyn, we did not have cable until 1986. So it was like, this was like as close as you could get right. to seeing a movie that was. A, and then I lied about it the next day at school and said I had seen it in a theater already. <laughs> And, so, uh, and did you get laid because you said that? <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Ava Gardner, like, he, she shows luxury to the kids, and, and she's sex, as we learn. Yeah. Uh, she's the luxury known as sex, but she doesn't say that. She just tells Tiltil, uh, you'll find out about me when you get older. And she's at this bizarre circus. Again, not interesting, kind of disturbing. I was very disturbed by the bears. The Russian bears walking in a line that they only show for one second. Yeah. Like walking up on their hind legs wearing hats and stuff. The circus looks like it, it reminded me of two movies. The Rainbow Smith, Cinderella, and Can Hieronymus Merkin Ever Forget Mercy Hump? You know, seeing the bears, too, like in this movie being so boring, I... It did. I do remember having this thought, Mike, like the entire rest of the country is watching Tiger King. And, yeah. and we're, oh, yeah. we're me watching too. the me boring blue. Yeah. <laughs> the one second of the bears that made me feel yeah. terrible for the bears. Yeah. yeah. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Yeah. That yeah. Did hit me. I, 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 we should talk. The animal abuse in this movie is horrific. Yeah, Because really all those birds are dyed blue. There's constant birds being blue. And all these kids want to do is catch the blue bird of happiness and put it in a cage. Yeah. And it's like, fuck you. Yeah. Drop dead. Yeah, and then they Let did, the fly, and then they man. caught it, and yeah. then it got away, and that was the end of the movie. And I was like, well, Thank fuck. God, but they don't treat He's like, and then he says to the servants, so, you know, the serfs working the land, if you see that thing, could you catch it and bring it back to me? And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, drop dead, Tiltil. Yeah, man. Liz really fizzed here. I mean, this is a fizz beyond fizz. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, we really right. swung the two ends of the, the Liz spectrum. Completely. Completely. Oh, and then I'm speaking of more animal abuse, there was a planned follow-up called Sea Pup that was going to be about a baby seal that a friend, befriends American and Russian families in the Puget Sound. I'm glad for the sake of uh, the hundreds of baby seals that would have been tortured in that movie and never came to be. Yeah. And then just, you know, again, the cruelty to Liz Taylor. Gene Siskel's one-star review said, Elizabeth Taylor has never looked uglier than she does portraying God the spirit damn. of light. I'm telling you, she she got such... She was too in on the joke, and it made her open yeah. to all the abuse and all the attacks. Like, yeah. she, like people don't want that level of self-awareness, and it makes them I think it was also just who she was. Yeah. It just, this is, this is somebody we can say... Yeah. 
you know, this horrible stuff about. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then in the Golden Turkey Awards, it says film, com- it's a little dip, Danny Perry film, uh, film conclusively proves Liz Taylor's need for a good girdle. And again, she's gorgeous. This yeah. is like the most beautiful woman ever photographed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So we, I wanted to do for this first episode a uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. So we'll go right to the dawn of the decade, 1980. The mirror cracked. With an apostrophe where the E should be in cracked. Um, this is an Agatha Christie adaptation, all star cast. Uh, and these people were, they were legends by 1980. <laughs> Even though it's funny, Liz is 47 here. Um, wow. Yeah, is that amazing? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What a 47 year old looked like, uh, yeah. you know, 40 some years ago, four, exactly 40 years ago. Um, and I had never seen this. I've also never seen the other, the uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the original, which was a major hit. Yeah. Uh, that was a major 70s Huge. Uh, blockbuster. I, I remember that and uh, Death on the Nile, but I didn't realize right. that there were so many Peter Ustinoff. Uh, that, that was well, there's two more movie. after that. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. There's TV movies, too. Yeah, You're right. TV You're movies. right. But but th- this whole genre to me, even you talking about the mirror cracked with an apostrophe without the e, like as a kid, yeah. I I never saw any of these movies as a kid. But I con- yeah. they were I constantly saw the posters and they were on TV and it was the epitome yeah. of classy grown up movies to me. Like oh, th- this absolutely. is what this yes. is what grown ups watch. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like that that apostrophe in in cracked is like yes. the pinky in yeah. the air. Like you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. No. This is put on. You know. Your, your fineries and uh, step out and uh, which a, a genre which you know I gotta say really successfully revived with Knives Out like it was really perfect of him a perfect avatar a perfect invocation yeah and reinvention of of this genre really brilliant that no one else was thinking hey there was this whole genre that like you're saying was huge and made lots of money then let's revive yeah. it and he did yeah and this is yes this is in the Knives Out mode yeah and, of course, The Mirror Crack did not make a lot of money. It did okay. Um, but do you remember there was also the weird movie Agatha with uh, Vanessa Redgrave and oh, Dustin yeah. Hoffman? Yes, that's right. And, and That seemed to come and go, yeah. That was more of a... Now, If I, I never saw that, but I always got the impression no. that was more of a serious drama than a, than a you know, fun... Well, that was about... A, apparently, Agatha Christie at some point disappeared for 11 days, and it was about the 11 days she was missing. Okay, right. And and you know you said this movie just did okay. I things I read it seemed like it was kind of taken as a bomb at the time. Like it, yeah, it was yeah. And I yeah. really and I gotta say after yeah. watching it, I really don't get why it's really entertaining no. and fun. I loved it. It looks yeah. great, and I'm I'm yeah. curious why it did not do well. I'm curious why it flopped. Honestly, I think because even when it came out, so I was probably eleven or twelve. Um, you know, Liz Taylor, Tony Curtis, Rock Hudson, these were no longer movie stars. Yeah. You know, right. we had been shitified by Star Wars and Spielberg at that point. And uh, these were, you know, they were just not movie stars. They but, were people in old movies on TV. But, you know, but you're that's absolutely true. But you're able to do like your counter programming at that point for the older audience. To me, it's like something like the thing that just came out was, I think it was the good liar with Ian McKellen and where it's like, Hey, Hey, old people, you'll enjoy this. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I'm surprised they weren't able to position this movie. As well, that. 
You can do it, but not on a blockbuster basis. And that's why you have Knives Out, where they work in some older stars. Yep. Yeah. But it's there's the hot young cast, and, and really the movie itself is the star. Right. Um, whereas this was all about Liz Taylor. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think it flopped, but it wasn't a disaster per okay. se. Um, and I mean enough so that they went ahead with they were going to make three Miss Marple movies with Angela Lansbury. They did not, uh, but they did go ahead with uh, Death on the Nile and oh that came before. I'm sorry, Evil Under the Sun, which flopped really bad. Mm. And then he did some more uh, TV movies as Poirot and uh, in 1988, Appointment with Death, which was a canon movie which I can only imagine didn't make any money at all. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was really good. I uh, I loved that opening, Murder at Midnight. It opens with a campy black and white parody of an old mystery movie where, you know, someone in this room has committed murder, and I'm going to take you through who it is. And then the film breaks, and you see that they're showing it at the local church hall, and... Uh, Miss Marple gets up and just right before they're about to reveal the kill of the movie breaks and Miss Marple, who is Agatha Christie's great old uh, dame, uh, detective, amateur sleuth, uh, solves the mystery for everybody, just lays out who the killer was. It was like, oh, it's right. She's right. So um, I thought that was great. And I thought uh, and don't you think it's Lansbury funny that was great. She's, she's great. And don't you think it's funny how much and it's deliberate with the white hair and everything? But it's funny yeah. that this movie is five years before murder she wrote and she right. looks 30 years older <laughs> yeah oh, she looks so old yeah she looks older and than she did at the end of murder she wrote's run you yes know? yeah yeah Which, but she said that was intentional I'm sure. uh that miss marple i guess had been played in a series of british films by an overweight actress and she said that's not how she's described in the uh books that they say she's tall and prim and old and uh so she said, I'm going to play her how she was written in the books. So uh, she was 54. Wow. And then, yeah, Murder, She Wrote was five years late. Do you remember, by the way, I didn't like look this up. Do you remember the uh, rap song Murder, She Wrote by Tyree B., the white rapper? No, I remember the reggae song. The guy reggae dance song. I don't remember the ra- the rap song. Yeah, I guess it was like probably late 80s, maybe or maybe the, like 1990 or something. But yeah, Tyree B., and it was on MTV all the time for like a, a week. And I saw it every time it was on. It was like, my, 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 what is it? A Magnum is a microphone for murdering MCs. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and then, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so she was this blonde woman and uh, uh, she later accused Dr. Dre of assaulting her. Oh, and, uh, she's since become an alt metal singer. Wow. Kyrie B. God bless her. Yeah, and you know, yeah. and you know, Mike, I've watched a lot of murder she wrote over the past couple of years. I know my daughters yeah. are super into it. I got the DVD set, and and goddamn, Angela Lansbury is such a delight. And uh, and you, you know, I'm not hearing you say that thing about oh, she was involved in oh, Miss Marple was supposed to be that. It's great reading about how much she did. She, she's a very, very smart actress, obviously, and uh, yeah. and with and with Jessica Fletcher, the murder she wrote character was apparently very involved in. Like, no, 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 Jessica Fletcher should never have a love interest. She, you know, she like yeah, she clearly had a great take on this type of character, and that's why she was able to do it for a decade. You know, right? But, Did that. 
Would your kids like this movie? I think they would. I was thinking of showing it to them. Yeah, I, I think they'd yeah. really enjoy it. How old are your girls? Claudia is, my, my daughter's 13, and, and I think she, um, and she's obsessed with old Hollywood. And I think right. I think she would love the kind of old Hollywood setting, along yeah. with Jessica Fletcher running around uh, solving a, you know, a mystery in it. Yeah, I think right. she'd be really into right. it. And uh, so this is clearly, you know, the postmodern ironic take on the old mysteries, as as you know, blatantly declared by the murder at midnight. And right. the idea is that they're on this English country estate, and everybody is funny in the movie. Everybody yeah. is really good. Rock Hudson, Liz is the movie star. Rock Hudson is her husband. Tony Curtis is the Hollywood agent, calling everybody booby. And this is and a very Kim, early example, don't you think, of the kind of like what would become the Larry Sanders show school of like, I can't believe they got two celebrities to say that to each other. Like, absolutely. Very yes. much playing, way playing on yes. the we're making fun of Liz Taylor, the diva, and her and Kim yeah. Novak going at each other. And uh, I, I'm tr I was trying to think of like, this is one of the earlier examples of that genre I could I could think of. I can't think of an earlier one that was successful or, or yeah. even unsuccessful. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I, but I mean, it's just so good. And uh, you know, there's one part where uh, Lizzie's looking in the mirror at her eyes and says, "Bags, bags, go away. Come back again on Doris Day." And then they cut <laughs> to Rock Hudson like making the hey! hilarious, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, she, it was great. She she uh, she calls Kim Novak Mary Queen of Sluts at one point. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, it's a like, really funny script. No, their dialogue is so well written. It's so cutting, and uh, and speaking yeah, of looking, it's surprising that they're going to do it, and and it is like a parody of old catty dialogue yeah. from Betty Davis movies, but more vulgar because it's you know yeah yeah but yeah way yeah way blatant and vicious and on the nose yeah and uh, and speaking of looking great, you know, like Liz Taylor does this. Kim Novak looks fantastic, like fantastic. I don't, yeah. I couldn't think of. I, I mean, I always thought I always loved Kim Novak, but I couldn't think of anything this late in the game I'd seen her in. And she looks she looks great. Yeah. Yeah, everybody. And she great. at this point apparently she like only made only took on projects that like really appealed to her and said she had a great time on this. Yeah. And that comes across too. Yeah, everybody it's seems fun. to be having a great time. Uh I also really like Charles Gray as Bates the Butler. The uh criminologist from Rocky Horror and the uh yeah. um uh Crowley standing from The Devil Rides Out. Uh and I'm watching this this big country house. I was like, "Hey, I know how all this works from Downton Abbey. <laughs> I know all about the butler's life." Yeah, and right. And 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 Tony Curtis, by the way, you know, classically a big time scene chewer, like pretty relaxed yeah. and and restrained yeah. and kind of having a good time here. Yeah, no, I agree. And what I thought was funny, though, part of his stick was that he kept picking up the phone and talking to people. Like on the, he talks to Swifty at one point. But it, like, makes no effort to make you believe there's anybody on the other no, line. No, no. <laughs> He's like, Swifty, baby, you're killing me. Yeah. Oh, sweetheart, I knew you'd love me. Um, Kim Novak has the incredible pumped-up boobs sequence where <laughs> she just has, like, the two overinflated tires in the front of her dress, which is really funny. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Geraldine Chaplin is uh, Rock Hudson's assistant who is sort of the one serious character in the movie. And, uh, you know, this plays out. I was surprised how much of the movie is devoted to Edward Fox as Inspector Craddock, who is Miss Marple's nephew from Scotland Yard. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's good. You know, I mean, he does he does a great job. He's your classic, uh, classy British detective. 
And someone uh, was killed on the set of this, uh, on the country house right before they were going to film this movie. Oh, wow. This young woman. And the mystery un- unfolds. And uh, Oh, I it, thought you meant you know, I thought you meant in real life someone was killed. Oh, no, oh, no. no. Oh, sorry, right. yes, sorry. Yes, no, no, got no, it. In the plot, yes. yes. Um, and we, we shan't spoil this one. No, it's not at all, because it's really a surprising plot. Like, it's it is. really yeah. fun yeah. and twisty and a bunch of stuff yeah. I didn't see coming. Yeah. My only complaint is that... Uh, it ends very abruptly. Yeah. Miss Marple just kind of steps in and goes, "Okay, here we go." Yeah, I can see and that. that's it. Yeah. And, but that was. But by that point, I was just you know I had watched you know almost two hours of a really entertaining movie. So. And a real pro of a director I was reading about Guy Hamilton, yeah. who yes. I saw was a Carol Reed protege, which made sense to me because I love Carol Reed's movie Third Man is one of my all time favorites. And sure, and, amazing. Know, and uh, um. Oh, the, and and he was even Guy Hamilton. Apparently, was Orson Welles double in Third Man. I thought that was cool. Um, oh wow! But then he did Goldfinger and James Bond right. movies, and I, I was I saw that he was uh, the original choice to direct uh, the Batman and Superman movies, which uh, oh, which would have been wow, that would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but instead he ended up doing Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, which I love. Well, you know what? I, I love should that movie. I should see it then. I, I like. I, I oh, never saw man. it. And uh, and this guy clearly, yeah, like a total pro, man. That movie, I took my little cousin David Mackey to see that, and uh, we we loved it. And I love the theme song "What If" by uh, Tommy from I can't think of his. Why can't I not think of his name from from Sticks, the guitar player? Tommy Shaw. His Tommy Shaw. Yes, and I loved it. This was the same era as his incredible song "Girls with Guns," uh, which I love. Catchy song. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Great song. And. Uh, I think I went with David. Maybe I went with my brother. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, no, I love Remo Williams. I've watched it a lot of times. It was on Channel 11 in New York a lot. And uh, I wish they had made a bunch of them. That was the plan. Yeah, well, with that, that was title, a, yeah, The Adventure Begins, yeah. A Dick Clark production based on the Destroyer series of pulp novels. Right. Which there are like, there are like 800 of them. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's a fascinating world. I know. Those, those I modern was, pulp novels. I was just going to say, you and I talking about like, oh, we'll never get into old time radio. And then they're, so, yeah. that's something I can see. But like, I would never get oh, into please. reading those old yeah. pulps. And then I could I could probably spend the next 10 years of my life doing yeah. it. Yeah. I remember my friend uh, Michael Vito had one. It was The Sergeant was the series. Ooh, that sounds And cool. there was a part where he's like shooting up. There's like a gunfight in a church. And he goes, wow, that guy looks like Jesus Christ. And then he shoots him in the face. <laughs> sergeant oh let me mention one other actress in here when we're talking about me not understanding the context for actors when i was a kid geraldine chaplin like i i never i remember when trip to bountiful came out and it it was like oh you know with you know geraldine chaplin yeah and i remember at that time being like who is this what what yeah. yeah, you know, I just I didn't understand the history, and so so it was it was good to see Geraldine Chaplin in this and go, okay, all right, now nah, I get it. She now was that lady, yeah. yeah. And is she she's Charlie Chaplin's daughter? Uh, yes, right. Yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. We should know. We should we, know. We have a podcast. <laughs> I know we're the movie experts. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen to us. Listen to us talk about movies. <laughs> Trust that we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, read. In- yeah, listen. In oh, us. we got to do that. The Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> listen to Mike McPatton. 
trust Aaron Lee. <laughs> We're going to take a good guess at the fact that, because I didn't Google that one, that Geraldine Chaplin yeah. is Charlie Chaplin's daughter. I think yeah. Mike's and because right. Because my, my Chrome crashed. <laughs> uh, I can't look it up right now yeah, on right. my laptop. So this is definitely uh, Liz Jizz's. Yeah, this man. This was really good. We had I, pretty I good... wish they had made more Miss Marples. Yeah, this we was do. great. We had a pretty good really average good. this week. Like a real, yeah. a real relief after toxic masculinity week. <laughs> Which you know, I even though I, I thought you know, uh, I loved Pray for the Wildcats, and I love that I melt with you. I almost didn't survive that one. That was a tough. One. <laughs> That's why I love it. <laughs> you came out the other side, and we're all stronger as a result of it. Yeah. Everyone in your life is stronger as a result of that. So uh, next week we're going to attempt to have a guest. Uh, we're going to attempt to have uh, Alan McDonnell on the show, uh, the author of uh, several books, including the Punk Elegies. And uh, 20 Years in the Hole, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Prisoner of X, 20 Years in the Hole at Hustler Magazine. I have the poster on my wall, and I, huh. I didn't understand that. Great, great and, Dan um, Clowes illustration. Now right? That I Am Gone, his most recent book. And we're going to talk about uh, L.A. punk movies that he has uh, some personal connections to, uh, such as uh, The Fabulous Stains and Dubidio. Which I mean, hang on to your, your nervous system for that one. Okay. Did you watch? Did you attempt to I watch that? Not watched Abedio yet. I, just going. I'm going to say technically, it is the worst film I've ever seen. Okay. Like on a pure. Okay. Like what makes a bad movie in terms of just delivering poorly? I'm, I'm girding. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm yeah. Girding. To I'm, I'm and then we had a, a th we had a third movie. What was it? Wait, wait. Did you say what we do is secret? What we do is secret. Yeah. The Germs movie, which I did rewatch. Yeah, yeah, I just saw that again. So, um, well, I think it's my turn this week to say, everybody, crack or get off the pot. I'm Mike McPat. I'm Aaron Lee. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you.